Welcome to the Canacuck Podcast. We hope you'll be encouraged to have an I'm Third approach as you navigate marriage, family, leadership, and spiritual growth. If you're new to our conversation, welcome. It's so great to have you. Let's jump in. Welcome to the Canacuck Podcast. My name is Shay Robbins, and we are so excited to talk today about family, specifically setting social media boundaries for our kids. With the help of a good friend, we'll talk about the impact of screen time, social media, video games, and how we as parents can help our kids navigate these things in a healthy way. Um, we have brought in one, kind of our local expert, our go-to guy within the K Ministries, Adam Donia. He is the president of the Canicuck Linkier. He's also the head coach of the Linkier Lions. Um, Adam has been around here for a long time and God has really gifted him uh, in a lot of ways uh, as a communicator. I think he's given him the gift of knowledge. He's just um, a wealth of knowledge specifically on this topic. And so, Adam, we're excited to have you on today. Thanks, Shay. So happy to be here. Thanks for having me. I definitely don't think I'm an expert, but I appreciate the kind words. <laughs> you bet. Well, um, from where I'm sitting, you are, bro. I about I pretty much retired from social media a couple years ago. I just I was exhausted, and um, you have always been just well educated. You know, you're working with uh, 18 and 19 year old kids. Um, you know, who are um, taking a gap year to focus on their faith and. Um, in, in a lot of ways, you get to see the ramifications, right? Like this is what happens as a result of this social media and technology revolution over the last 10, 15 years. Tell, tell our audience about the Link Year and just kind of a heartbeat there before we jump into our topic. Yeah, so Link Year is for 18 to 20-year-olds that are trying to explore more of their gifting that God has given them and more of their direction and purpose. And so we disciple 18 to 20-year-olds at the Canacuck Link Year from September all the way through late April, early May. And the hope is to build a biblical foundation that won't falter when they go off to either secular universities or go and get into marriages. And I kind of our tagline has been, we want to equip students so they'll be ready to impact their college campuses rather than those college campuses negatively impacting them. And so yeah, it's, it's, we've been, this will be year 10. It's hard to believe, but it's been really neat to see how God has used Link Year to grow up the next generation of leaders. Donya, you, you know, now you're a family man. Tell us about your family. You're, you're processing through social media through a different lens now. Tell us about your, your family with Stephanie. Yeah, you just said too, I love what you said, that, that you were exhausted. And it can be so exhausting uh, trying to navigate the social media world. And so what does my family do? Who My wife, Stephanie, this is 13 years next month. And then I have an eight-year-old who is a camper right now at K1 and a five-year-old, both boys, that could put Red Bull out of business if I could bottle their energy. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so what does that look like to not allow our family to be exhausted by social media or the technology of the world? And so uh, it's really things we have to think through and specifically, our family has on our wall what we call the Donye Seven Pillars. And one of those seven pillars is rhythm in four. And a part of that rhythm is making sure we don't let technology or social media dominate our home and our conversations. Yeah. So let's, um, let's go 30,000 foot. Um, you know, when I, I'm 39 years old, 
And when I was a little guy, if anyone was going to get to my sister, they had really two avenues to get to him. One was a one of those dial-up ringer phones with no voicemail. And there was, yeah, exactly. And then there was our front door. And so if anyone was to get to my sister, they'd have to go through Rob Robbins. And, and now our kids are being raised in a generation within our lifetime where six to seven billion people have access to them through maybe half dozen or a dozen outlets that are streaming into our home. That's a big change in the course it's, of 30 it's a years. It's frightening change. It is. Frightening. Talk to us about just, you know, how you have seen things change over the last 10 to 15 years in the lives of teenagers. You know, Shay, you bring up a really good point. It it is overwhelming how much access that kids have to information, to images, to things that you and I didn't have access to growing up. And, and, and it's overwhelming sometimes for parents who haven't grown up in a technological era, and so they don't understand what's good, what's bad, and, and they don't know even how to navigate it with their kids because for the first time in history, kids are educating parents on a device rather than vice versa. And so if parents don't understand this, it's so easy for kids to manipulate, to work, to coerce, to get behind the scenes and use this. One example would be, uh, it was so sweet because moms care so much about the purity of their children, specifically in boys that may have struggled with pornography. And so I would hear like eight or nine years ago, how many parents would be like, no, we got triple X, we got canine protection unit, we got all this software on our phones so that our kids can't see anything. And then I'd ask, but do you allow them to have an Instagram app or a Twitter app or any of these? Because these apps are filtering it just the same. And so I said, those protections on your computer don't do any good if they're still having access to these social media devices. And so I think it's proactive too. I don't, I don't think it's just putting a Band-Aid on a gunshot wound. And what I mean by that is putting a protection isn't the answer. I, I think it helps, but it's not the answer. The answer is the heart and getting to the heart of your child and getting to the heart of the conversation of, of what they're using, why they're using it, and what they're using it for. You know, Adam, in our... We attend the same church, and you know one of our kind of conversation points in regard to parenting is that we're moving from control to influence. In other words, you know, as a child, you have complete one hundred percent control of raising the kid. You determine what they eat, when they sleep, what they wear, and um, the art of being a parent is raising a kid in such a way that where you're you're giving them freedoms in a healthy rate so that when they're 18 years old, they're ready to launch. They're ready to take on that freedom in a healthy way. And um, the social media and technology realm is is difficult because you look at what everybody else is doing, right? And that's what, that's what your kids do is they play the comparison game and parents feel pressure there. What, what advice would you give to parents about the pace of exposure and freedoms with technology and social media? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. And, and I, I don't know, Shay, if there's a, a blanket answer. I think some 16, 17-year-olds 
are more mature to handle this crazy world of social media than other 16, 17-year-olds. And, and I think a parent should know their child best. Mm-hmm. I, I know some useful tools and tips have been that moms and dads have required kids to plug in their phones on the kitchen counter or in their bedroom at night. So they're not taking it to bed with them. Mm-hmm. They're not waking up and grabbing that phone the first thing in the morning. Uh, a good friend, Steve Farrar, said this to me once, and I'll never forget it. And, and he said, spend time reading and receiving the truth every morning because the world will only lie to you the rest of the day. And you think about the first thing a kid or a teenager reaches for when they wake up in the morning Mm. is usually their cell phone Wow! to see what they've missed. Rather than it be their word and receiving God's truth and God's guidance, they're reaching for a cell phone. And it's usually the last thing they looked at at night before they went to bed too. And so when it comes to social media, there's two scriptures that, that I love to encourage parents with. And, and they're like, well, would Jesus have used social media? I don't know, but I know Paul, the apostle would have. And, and the scripture I use to support that Paul would have is 1 Corinthians 9.22, where he says, to the weak I become weak, I become all things to all men so that I might win some to Christ. And so then that begs the question, why are teenagers using social media and what are they using it for? Why am I using it personally? And what am I using it for? And, and if it's not to draw or connect with people closer to the cross, then I don't know if it serves a purpose because the other verse that goes with that a chapter later is in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 23, where, where Paul says, all things are lawful, but not all things are beneficial. Mm. So is social media in and of itself a sin? I don't think so. I can't say it's sinful. I definitely think sin invites itself. Like the enemy uses any tool or any trick sure. to bring sin into that. But but how and why is it being used? And so I think the other thing I think we're about to jump into is important is what social media doing to your child's anxiety or depression, right? So I'm out at K2 right now, and I just saw my, asked all my K-Equip students yesterday, how many of you feel liberated, free, being out here away from your phones? Every summer, Shay, for the last eight summers, they all say, I don't want to go back to my phone. I don't want to go back to it. I just feel so free here. I feel less pressure. And it's just a completely different world out there. And you you would think, I think this can be encouraging to parents. You would think it would be like pulling teeth to take phones away from our college staff and teenagers. And it's just not because they, they find that it may be hard initially, but they find the freedom quickly. It's, li- it's liberating. The best word I can use is liberating. Well, well think about this, Shay. In, in 2010, Instagram launched. In 2011, Snapchat la- launched. There is a synonymous rise at 2010 and 2011 with the rise in suicides, attempted suicides, anxiety, and depression amongst 13 to 25-year-olds. It's exact synonymous rise. And for the first couple of years, no one would speak about the correlation, but now you can read scholarly articles on a direct correlation with the rise in these social media apps with anxiety, depression, and teenagers. Okay. Help us understand the social pressure. Like, I think that's something that, you know, automatically we think about pornography, right? Which obviously is a huge issue, but, you know, I've been calling anxiety the new pornography for the last couple years because it's just, I mean, it is, it is, it's the issue amongst kids right now. Explain that. Like, how, how do you, how are kids being crushed with social pressure? That's so, Shay, you and I work at a job that we absolutely love. And when we wake up, we don't even face the pressure as a 
father that provides for our family, a husband that provides for our wives. We don't even feel the pressure from the time we wake up to the time that we go to bed in our lives that they do from the second they time to wake up. So think about it. They wake up in the morning, let's say 7 a.m., and they look at their phones and they already see what their girlfriends or their boyfriends are wearing to wear at school. And so now there's this pressure. I got to look a certain way. And then all throughout the day, and then they'll post something. And now there's pressure if it's going to get them out in likes and how that's going to perform. And so they go throughout their entire day looking at the social media, if they're living up or comparing to. And so they're carrying pressure this social performance pressure from the time they wake up till the time they go to sleep. I don't know the hardest working blue collar man that faces that kind of pressure from the time they wake up to the time they go to bed. And they face it day in and day out. And we're starting to see the detriment this is having on young men and women. Yeah, I always compare it. You know, you think about your most intense day at work. Spinning a lot of plates, stressful situ- situations, problem solving, more than you can handle. And you go home, and for me, it kind of plays out in my shoulders. Like I'm knotted up, I'm anxious, I'm distant emotionally. And, but for the most part, I'm in a situation where I can go home and I can turn it off and, and relax. And, and I can handle that transition. But kids are, you know, I just want parents to understand like that tension that you're experiencing, that that's what Adam's describing. And, you know, just uh, another, I think, way to think about like the maturation of, of urgency to respond is when the text message became popular, it became popular because it was a non-committal conversation, right? You could get to it when you wanted to. I mean, you, do y'all remember that? Like that was not that long ago. It used to be a conversation that you could pick up at your leisure, and that was kind of like the the draw to it. Well, now there is an expectation that you respond and you respond with immediacy, and that's expected of everybody. Now you pile that up on a kid, and that's just it's just pressure, and that's where the anxiety is coming from. So, how do we help protect our kids from that? Yeah, that's that's such a good question because because there's gonna be some moms and dads listening today thinking it's too late. I, I, I'm too late. They're they're already 16, 17. They're already in this, and I would say it's never too late. It, it, and I don't care if they're off in college now. And and so, what are some ways as a mom or a dad you can begin to gain social media control of your home? One of those ways I told you is, is turning the phones in at night. But but one of the things that my wife and I, obviously my eight year old and five year old, don't have phones. But, but one of the things that, that we do in our home is what we call no cell phone Sundays. And you talk about how liberating those K2 campers are right now, being away from their phones. You, you know, God speaks of a Sabbath because he knew we needed to rest in him. He needed to recharge us. And the reality is these kids need to be recharged because of this pressure you speak of, Shay. And, and so why... As the parent, you're the parent of the home. You call the shots. And like you said, the, the child might bucket at first, but put the phone away for a day of the week and let them recharge as a family and conversations and just rest in him and honor that Sabbath of I'm not going to allow this pressure and I'm going to rest in the Father and I think it can be liberating. I think that's a simple way. And that's one of the things, back to the rhythm and four I talked about as a family pillar that we do is, is we're very intentional about the dinner table and, and what happens at the dinner table. And then that one day of the week where we don't let the outside world influence our rest as a family. Mm. 
I love that. That's a great takeaway, something we can practically change today. Hey, parents, before we go any further in this conversation, I want to throw it over to Adam and have him explain how the link year is helping teens battle with the challenges that this world throws at them. Thanks, Shay, for letting me say something. So link year is helping kids get into authentic community. And if you look at how God originally designed us, it is to be in community with one another's. And so the topic we're talking about today with anxiety and depression and social media, that has removed people from authentic community. And so one of the valuable things that I see the kid gets at Link Year is that authentic community. Matter of fact, we've built Link Year off of seven pillars that we believe will help them build a foundation going into college. And those seven pillars are authentic accountability, teaching young men and women to be accountable, a biblical worldview, not just saying you're a Christian, but able to see through the lens of scripture, growing in gratefulness. We want to eradicate entitlement and realize all we have to be thankful for. Heart transformation. We're always going to look at the internal and see what the external later, because we believe the inner affects the outer maximizing moments. We minimize video games and screen time at Link Year just so that we engage more in those relationships and create memories over materials. Privilege responsibility. We give when God gives us a lot of privileges. We're called to be responsible and not lazy. And the last but not least is student of scripture, teaching young men and women how to study God's word, using that as a compass. So then when we leave here, they're not headed out with a compass that points to themselves like the world says, but they're headed out of here with God's word as their compass pointed back to the one who created them for a lifetime of purpose. You know, Adam, another thing that I think is worth processing is the amount of negative news, right? So, fake one news, the, right? <laughs> one of the sad things is that, you know, we, we know that news outlets are businesses and and they are out to make money and and a lot of the news that drives tension anger um fear it makes money and you know kids are being exposed to like all all of the outliers become the norm right all of the worst things in the world they become the norm like the things that are flying before a kid's eyes they're so raw, they're so heavy, they're so hopeless, and it's just become normal. But it's not normal. Like we weren't made to process all the atrocities of the world. I mean, you think about a 13-year-old processing all of the worst things that are happening in the world today, every day. It's too much. What, what would you say, I mean, how can we go about um, again, moving from control to influence, how can you help them learn to process these things in an emotionally healthy way? Shay, this is a really good conversation. I'm so, I'm so glad you brought this up because what, what the difficult thing I think for parents to navigate is I don't think they realize sometimes all that their child is taking in. Because what you just said, a media that's slanted to make money, to drive fear, to sell things. And so the images that can be searing in the mind, the words that they can see. And so a parent might not even know that their child saw those things throughout the day on social media. Have, have no clue. And so what is the solution? Great question. We have to begin having more conversations with our kids. 
you have, and, and I'm telling you, it's as simple as this. And I, I and I know you do this at the Robbins home, and I'm so passionate and adamant about our home. At dinner time, that 45 minutes, no phones, no TV, no technology. We sit at the table and we process. And right now, for an eight year old and a five year old, it's as simply as what was your high and low of the day. Why was that your low? Talk to me about your emotions and how that made you feel. Mm -hmm. And tell me something you're thankful for today, right? Because the world will also teach you to be entitled and not thankful for anything. And and that's ingrained. And and they don't leave the dinner table until, Daddy, may I please be excused? Mm -hmm. That is going to be a sacred table until they're done with high school. Because there's going to be times they're going to have a phone. And they're going to see things I'm not going to know they're going to see. And I'm going to ask them, hey, are there any concerns that you've had? Have you seen anything? Have you heard anything? Have you done anything that, that we should know about? Like, think about right now with the turmoil in our country, the conversations around the dinner table that mom or dad could initiate that helps that child process. Remember, emotions are important and feelings are real. They're not always reliable, but we need to give our children a safe place to process their emotions or else it's going to come out in unhealthy ways. That's right. You know, it's so interesting is we can, as parents, we can overprotect or we can underprotect and they're both going to have the same results. If we, if we underprotect them and give them free reign, they're going to expose themselves to stresses that are too much for them. And they're going to, they're going to experience anxiety and, and which can move into depression. Same thing happens if we overprotect them and we hold on to control for too long. And we see this often is college students or, you know, students go to college from really awesome, amazing families, but they get off to college and they're overwhelmed. And a, a, a young man or a young woman who formerly was well-grounded, they get off to college and they crumble. It's because they, they didn't have the emotional stamina to, to deal with it. So there's really a delicate balance. It's kind of that Holy Spirit territory. Give us some like practicals. Like what are some ways to find that groove, that healthy balance in your family? Yeah. So once again, every family's different. The Robbins family isn't the Donye family and vice versa. Obviously you have a lot more kids than I do. God bless you. But, but so Josh, or Josh McDowell says that the average male that's exposed to pornography is eight years old, right? And and mom and dad are not ready to have a conversation about sex with an eight-year-old. But but then you have to start thinking, and I'm going to get to your practical, Shay, but you have to start thinking, am I going to allow the world to educate my child or am I going to educate my child? And the only way you're going to be able to inform or educate your child is if you make those conversations normative, healthy. They feel healthy to have them. They don't feel weird talking about those things with mom or dad. And the more frequent anything takes place, the more comfortable it becomes. And so I think a practical way is to begin having those conversations with our child. I'm having a conversation with my child right now because of everything going on in our world about race and talking right now at five years old, those conversations and him asking me, daddy, why would anybody hate somebody just because the color of their skin? Mm. And we're having those conversations as a five-year-old. And he's going to grow up knowing those conversations. Uh, another practical way is 
If your kid wants to watch a movie that's PG-13, and I'm not making a blanket statement here, every family is different, and you get to set the guidelines for your family. I try to follow the Bible the best I can for my family, but if, but if my, Aiden wants to watch a PG-13 movie, and, and he's begging me to watch it, there's a couple things I'm going to do. One, I'm going to go to kidsinmind.com and figure out why it's PG-13 and see what is in that movie. And then the second thing I'm going to do is if I'm going to be okay with it, I'm going to watch the movie with him. And him and I are going to process. We're going to process any violence that may, may be in it. We're going to process any counter-biblical worldviews that might take place in it, whatever secular worldviews might take place. And him and I, and he knows that if I'm going to allow him to watch something like that, then him and I are going to have a conversation with it. And so, Shay, I think the most practical thing for parents is conversations. And some are like, I'm so out of touch, I don't fit. They would be shocked. You know, you know why so many people rave about Kanakuk? It's because kids come here and they begin to have no cell phones and they have conversations with counselors that you and I have trained mm. up to have these conversations with. It's all in there. It's in their children. They just need an outlet to pour it out to. That's right. You know, one of our colleagues, Stedman Valentine, said last night, he said, a phone call is worth a thousand tweets. <laughs> and I, I just am reminded of that. I'm like, the the value of just those intimate conversations. I just think as parents, we can't hear it enough. And having six kids, one of the areas where I think Ashley and I are, we have to call timeouts and refocus is, okay, we, you know, we're so eager to get them to bed so we can just have like 30 minutes to ourselves, but we can't rush that intimate space. Like there's, there's too much value in yeah. in land next to him. And I know, you know, if Joe was here, he would charge parents right now, he says, even with your teenage boys. You lay down in bed next to them, you look them in the eye, regardless of what ha has happened today, and you tell them how much you love them, how valuable they are, and you ask them good questions that allow them the freedom to talk. Well, and he's told you and I stories about that, of, of, even as much as he traveled, that whenever he was home, he was he was still laying in bed with Brady and Cooper in their high school years. And I couldn't agree. That's one thing I've stole from Joe, who's a big mentor, both yours and mine. And and, that, and that's it. You, you just hit it right on the head. There's something so valuable in, in a dad getting parallel with a kid at night and, and either memorizing and tucking scripture in his heart and then processing his day. That, that's probably almost every day, not every day, but almost every day. That's the highlight. When I'm mm. laying down and Anders has finally calmed down and my five-year-old and Aiden is exhausted and and you're absolutely right. There, there's that vulnerability and that comfort of being there in their bedroom, lights down, and having those conversations with mom and dad that is just priceless. Mm -hmm. Adam, speak to the parent who feels like it's too late, who mm. 16, 17-year-old boy or girl who they know is unhealthy right now with screen time and there's tension in the home over it. What advice do you give them right now? Yeah. Don't, don't, don't beat yourself up. Right. No, there's no perfect parent. And this, this was a blitzkrieg like of social media that none of us were ready to handle. And so don't, don't be hard on yourself and, and know that it's, it's time. And, it's okay if you fumble and, and it's okay if you're learning, but, but be vulnerable with your child as you want them to be vulnerable. One of the most powerful things I do to my boys, even eight and five, is get down on one knee and ask them to forgive me when I blow it as a dad. Mm -hmm. 
And and that gives them permission to realize, you know what, daddy needs Jesus too. Yeah. Um, and and so, like as a parent, I think to recognize that to your child. But but the reason I would say it, it's it's not too late is because you're the only parent that can be a parent to your kid. Yeah. God has specifically given you that child, and and He sees you fit. But you're not alone, and so I would encourage every mom and dad to press into Him for wisdom, to press into His Word for discernment and guidance. And, and how we should navigate these conversations and lead our kids. And, and back to what you said, I, I think it's never too late to whether there needs to be reconciliation or, or ownership of where you've blown it as a parent. Trust me, Shay, I, I'm going to apologize to my boys a lot from now until they leave for college. Mm-hmm. I, I just have a lot to learn, and I'm going to continually have a lot to learn. But the more I apologize to my boys where I might have blown it or lost my temper or whatever— it's every moment that I apologize, that's pointing them back to Jesus. Yeah. And so as a parent, it's not ever too late to point your child back to Jesus and in your own actions, in your own words. And, and so I, that's my biggest encouragement is mom and dad, if you're listening to this today, like love them through your humility, love them through your teachable and say, you want to understand more about them and what, what you can grow and understand more about social media. What are ways that as a parent, ask your child, what are ways that I can help alleviate some of the pressure and anxiety you feel? What are some guidelines? Can we look at your cell phone because iPhones keep track of how much time you spend on cell phone? Can we meet in the middle and maybe cut that in half? Maybe Mm. maybe reduce this amount of app time? Is there something we could like, how how about you and I set up a goal? Or are there so many things you could do to just say, hey, let's, let's meet here in the middle. Let's have a happy medium and say, okay, no cell phones at all. Oh, but let's meet somewhere that's going to help restore the joy in your child's soul. Yeah, that is amazing advice. Really well put, Adam. Let's talk now to the parent who's got a kid that is is overcome with anxiety. What mm-hmm. biblical counsel? What's the process of of teaching them to get you know to find that healing in Christ? Yeah. So I love how you referred to this. This is the modern day porn. Like you go out to K2 and I had 93 students in K-Equip yesterday and I asked them the question verbatim, how many of you have felt anxious this year? 92 out of 93 hands went up. Wow. So what, where do we begin, right? And so 1 Peter 5, 7 says, cast all your anxieties onto him because he cares for you, right? It, Jesus also talks about my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Come to me, all who are weary and heaven lady, and I will give you rest for your weary souls or your anxious souls. Uh, Matthew 6 talks about, do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow, worry about itself, like live in today. And and so I know it might feel cliche and we're doing a Christian I'm third podcast, but kids are allowing the world to define them rather than the word to define them. And remember, the difference between the word world and word is one letter. It's the letter L. And I tell them that L stands for lies, lies, and more lies. Wow. And so when you listen to what the lies are going to tell you, you're going to be insecure. You're going to be anxious. I can't encourage mom and dads enough to begin speaking God's truth. What does God say about your child? Well, Mm -hmm. it says in Psalm 139 that they are 
perfectly and wonderfully made, mm-hmm. that they're woven intricately, that God has a plan and a purpose for their life, that John 10, 10 says that Jesus came that may have life and have it abundant, that he uniquely designed them. And I love how passionate, Shay, you are about gifts and how God's given us all unique spiritual gifts. And even your children, mom and dad, listen, they have gifts. And the world is going to say their gifts need to be one thing that will never find them full or satisfied. But God's word, when you begin walking in your gifts, when you begin casting those worldly anxieties onto him, he gives you rest for your weary soul and he brings you to life. And Shane and I have experienced that in our own life of just getting to walk in the gifts God's given us and how it alleviates that anxiety. Mm-hmm. You know, I think uh, from my experience in counseling, you know, a big part of the you know, anxiety is hyper-focus, right? It's hyper-focus on what you can't control, on what tears you down. And, you know, Gary Smalley is a, a legend in our neighborhood. Um, and and Gary said that, you know, your belief, your beliefs drive your actions. In Proverbs 4.23, above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. But your thoughts you know, your beliefs are thousands of times stronger than your thoughts. So your thought processes, if you're going to change your beliefs, something's got to run through your head thousands of times before it seeps down in your heart and it becomes a part of your belief system, the fabric, the driving force of your actions and your thoughts and your words. And potentially a great litmus test for us as parents is we need to understand, to know our kids well enough and their technology usage to know, okay, how many reps are they getting of lies right now? How many reps are they getting of false identity? How many reps are they getting of social pressure? And to, to know them well enough to see what are the thoughts in their mind? And, and we can't, I mean, I think that's just a good way to process it. You can't expect them to win if if the lies, lies, lies are thousands of times more prevalent than the truth, truth, truth. And, and so, you know, perhaps that's a way to go about like building truth in their life. Adam talks to us about that. What are some ways practically in our family that we can control truth filtering through our kids' minds? Yeah. Well, so, so what, so what's the lies that a girl t- gets when she gets on Instagram, that she has to look this way. Girls do their chicken wing photos so their arms look skinnier. And and so they pose a certain way or they have their good side. And so there's a lie, right? Mm. But, But then you look at 1 Peter 3, and how does God define beauty? Right? It's not by outward adornment, but it's the heart. It's, mm. it's the individual. There's a practical way. Or, or, or young men that think they have to perform or they have the FOMO, the, the fear of missing out, right? And, well, then you go to Galatians 1.10 and it says, am I trying to win the approval of man or God? Or am I trying to please man? For if mm-hmm. I were trying to please man, I wouldn't be a servant of Christ. And, and so I think moms and dads can combat every lie that their child might be facing. I don't think I know because I'm able to do it with my own wife and our conversations and my own children. God's word will combat every lie with truth. That's what it is. It's an infallible, it's an errant, and it is God's truth. And regardless of whether or not it fits our narrative, it is still truth. And regardless if it's what whether or not kids want to hear, the reality is they would be honest that I feel empty apart from Christ. And I asked the, the K-Equip students this yesterday, If only I had blank, then I would be happy. I said, what is that blank? Because if it's anything other than Jesus, if Mm. it's Instagram followers, if it's Twitter likes or whatever, it's still going to leave us empty. And so I think the most practical way, Shay, for mom and dads 
to navigate this is to consistently substitute the lies they see their children believing with God's truth and what he says about them. Amen. And we'll end on that. Adam, thank you so much. Amazing stuff. And thank you to share, you know, for sharing your time with us today. We hope today's conversation serves to fuel your I'm Third approach to raising up the next generation of godly leaders within your family. We'd love to pray for families as we close. Father, we come to you and we just pray a blessing over these families. We pray for mom and dad, God, that you would give them discernment through the Holy Spirit and the truth of your word. Um, that you'd put uh, wise people in their life to help them process um, just the difficulty and the challenges of raising kids. Um, It is an art and not math. And so we need your help, Lord. Um, And so we just pray over them and, and ask God that you'd protect these kids and bless them in the name of Jesus. And it is in that name that we pray. Amen. Amen. We hope today's conversation left you encouraged, strengthened, and empowered. If you haven't had a chance, please subscribe to our podcast today to stay up to date with the latest episodes. If this podcast has helped you in any way, please consider rating us, writing a review, or sharing it with others so we can continue to build you up with an I'm Third approach to marriage, family, leadership, and spiritual growth. For more information about the podcast, visit canacuckpodcast.com. And for more information about Canacook, you can visit canacook.com.